My dad told me the story about a friend of his who was up in the mountains in Washington getting some firewood. Had a big van, emptied it out so that they could just load that thing full of wood for burning later on. Uh, the friend had another guy with him who was helping him and they got it full of, full of firewood on the road back down into town, bumping along, they realized, ah, we've got a flat tire. But oddly enough, my dad's friend, he said, praise the Lord, a flat tire. And the guy next to him was thinking, what is this nut saying? Well, they take a look at it and they realize we have to unload the wood. The van's too heavy to jack up. So they unload all the firewood, they jack up the van, replace it with a spare tire, load the firewood back in, and they continue on down the road. Well, they weren't back to town yet when they felt that familiar wumpity, wumpity, wumpity. Oh no, another flat tire. And again, the friend said, praise the Lord. And this other guy was no doubt getting more and more confused and annoyed. And while that may be true, you got to give the first guy credit for trying to find joy in all circumstances. It's certainly not always easy. And all circumstances are certainly not always good. But yet the Bible does speak to us about how we can look for the good, find good, even in the midst of bad. We're going to see this today as we launch into a new series through the gospel, uh, not the gospel, the epistle, the letter of James. The reality is, stuff in life is going to go bad. Bad things will happen to you, to me, to everybody, and we get a choice for how we will respond. I invite you to open up to the epistle of James. It's towards the end of your Bible, after the book of Hebrews, which is kind of a bigger one. If you recall Jude in that position, right before Revelation, where we were the last three weeks, James is a couple of books before that. The letters are, are pretty small there, but you'll find it, the letter of James. James is probably, again, the half-brother of Jesus, just like Jude was. So James and Jude are probably brothers, although there's been dispute over which James is the author of this book. There were several people, a few people at least, named James, and the other most well-known James was an apostle, James the Apostle, but he was martyred in A.D. 44. So he died uh, in A.D. 44, and so it seems unlikely that he would have written this. Uh, you know the well-known pirate saying, Dead apostles write no epistles, right? So probably James the Apostle didn't write this book. And one of the objections that James, uh, the brother of Jesus, one of the objections for him writing this letter is that the Greek is so good. Scholars look at the Greek and they marvel. They say, this is so eloquent. It, it couldn't have been him because he must have grown up writing. If he knew how to write, it must have been Aramaic. And while it's certainly possible that he could have um, learned Greek and wrote it really well on his own, there are other uh, ways that he certainly could have been the author of this epistle. As you recall, Paul had people writing 
um, letters for him. And so he could have employed the use of someone else who was very fluent in Greek. The language that was so common for spreading the good news and just communicating in the Roman Empire at that time. Another creative explanation is that the, the letter of James seems a lot like a sermon. It's kind of structured as though it could be a sermon. And so some have speculated and wondered if maybe James was preaching this and someone in the audience thought this needs to be shared. And so they wrote it down, them being fluent in Greek. And of course, there's no way to know for sure, but let me just summarize it by saying there are good arguments. A good argument can be made that James, the half-brother of Jesus, was indeed the author. But even if he wasn't, the Lord has given us this book, and it is one that we will find great blessings in. Some say James, if he was the brother of Jesus, was older, maybe from a previous marriage where Joseph's spouse died. Um, it seems that Joseph is not in the picture very long. We, we don't find any records of him after the early days of Jesus. So it may be that he was older than Mary and passed away. Um, others have said, no, he, James was a, was a younger sibling from Joseph and Mary. But in either case, I will assume that James, the brother of Jesus, is writing this letter, which makes it fascinating as we again find in the introduction these words. James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Just like Jude, James, who didn't formerly believe in Jesus, James, who had criticized Jesus, saying he's out of his mind, James now is saying, I am a servant of Jesus. I am a servant of God. Greek word there for servant is doulos. Uh, maybe some of you who are familiar with midwives today, they're often called doula, a doula. Uh, that's just from Greek, uh, the, the feminine version of a servant. Uh, and a doula today is someone who, while they are serving, they are very essential and very important, doing an essential work, bringing new life into the world. And so James, while he is humbling himself, while he is saying, I accept the total authority of God, of Jesus, while I am their servant, I'm their slave, I will do whatever my Lord commands me. It also was a, a term that had come to uh, be something of an honor and a privilege uh, to be a servant of the king a servant of the Lord. In fact, if you look in the Greek version of the Old Testament, you'll find a number of the great people in our hall of faith were called in the Greek doulos, servants of God. People like Moses, people like Daniel. Uh, you can go through uh, the stories. Joshua and Caleb were called doulos, servants of God. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Isaiah, Amos, Zechariah, Jeremiah, all of them were described as servants of God. So it shouldn't surprise us in the New Testament that others were adding their name to this calling in life, saying, I will serve God. You're either a servant of yourself and sin, as we discussed, 
or you're a servant of God. James made his declaration. And I ask you this morning as we begin, who do you want to serve? And it'll be evident in your life and in my life who we're serving. Are we serving ourselves? Well, people can notice that. Are we serving God? People can notice that also. So James, bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad. Greek word there, diaspora, probably one you're familiar with. The reality is at this time there were Jews living all over the place. There were three major events that scattered them as, as well as other reasons. You can recall the Assyrian captivity where they were forcibly removed by the Assyrians and then the Babylonian captivity and Daniel taken to Babylon. Uh, and even uh, 63 AD, there was the general, Roman general Pompey who removed Jews and took them as slaves to Rome. In fact, it said when Alexander the Great came to Alexandria to make that like established for him, there were a million Jews living in Alexandria at the time. So they had been dispersed and spread all over the place. Uh, but as we read the gospel or the, the epistle of James, as we read this letter, we see that this is clearly to a Christian audience. Uh, but there were many uh, Jewish converts to the faith during this time. And, and so James's epistle intends to be, uh, appears to be um, written for those who are of faith, who are living outside of Palestine, who were scattered abroad throughout the Roman Empire, down in Egypt, uh, up in Italy, uh, in Greece, in all over and around. And then he has a very succinct greeting. What does it say in your Bible? It says, greetings. <laughs> greetings. Now this is a little bit unusual because it's not used anywhere else in the New Testament except by a couple of non-Christian people, uh, like in the book of Acts, for example. Paul always uses a more Christian greetings. He'll say things like grace and peace to you. James, he, he just says greetings. And some have wondered why he would use this just common, generic, ordinary, secular greeting, but perhaps it's because his letter was being distributed so widely and so broadly, he, he thought to himself, let me just make this as general as I can. And so he said, greetings. And then we get into it. In verse 2. Verse 2. My brethren, brothers and sisters in the Lord, count it all what? Joy when you fall into various trials. Now this is odd, isn't it? <laughs> it's like the other guy that was in the van. Another flat tire. What? And the driver is saying, praise the Lord. This is odd. This is really odd. Although when you consider the alternatives for what James could have wrote in its place, maybe it makes a little more sense. James could have said, my brethren, when you fall into various trials, get extremely angry and curse God. Well, that wouldn't have fit, would it? 
My brethren, when you fall into various trials, give up the faith. There's no hope. Okay. He could have said even more insulting, brothers and sisters, if you love the Lord, you'll never have difficulties in your life. But he didn't say any of those things. He said instead, consider it, count it, react with joy. Now, he's certainly not saying that we need to be happy about everything. He's certainly not saying that we shouldn't grieve in times of loss, that we shouldn't process the normal, healthy emotions when we deal with difficulties. He's not saying that. But he is saying that we can find joy in even the most difficult trials. In fact, Jesus himself said the same in Matthew 5, the Sermon on the Mount. He said, you're going to be persecuted for my sake. And when that happens, cry, stomp your feet, throw a fit. No, he said, rejoice and be exceedingly glad. Remember, Jesus knew that there was a time for weeping. Jesus cried. Jesus didn't want to go through suffering. But in the midst of it, the author of Hebrews says, for the joy that was set before him, he endured. And so James, following in the pattern of his master and savior and brother, he said, when you enter into trials, count it all as joy. Why should we have joy? This doesn't make sense. Well, he explains himself. Verse 3, knowing that the testing of your faith produces what? Patience, endurance, one of those kinds of words. The Apostle Paul also realized that there were certain benefits that you could only get through hardships in life. And so Romans chapter 5, verses 3 through 5, he he kind of has this list of hardships and he says we rejoice in these things because of what it does in our lives. Paul literally was singing in prison when he didn't need to be in prison, but yet they found joy even in those circumstances. Difficult times will come. We get to choose whether or not we're going to allow God to help us find joy. Even as we struggle with the difficulty. Even as we recognize that we wish that things were different than they were. Even as we grieve in our time of loss. It's possible to have two emotions at the same time, isn't it? I remember one time... <laughs> When you have a swimming pool, which we did growing up, you have to paint the bottom of your pool from time to time. And, and you'd think that the bottom is painted blue because pools look blue, but they're actually painted white. But I remember a certain member of my family was, was coming up out of the bottom of our drained pool with five-gallon buckets of water because we were emptying out the final bit there. And as they were walking up the, the slope, into the shallow end from the deep end, they fell, slid back down. And I remember in my young little self, probably about this tall, I felt the complexity of emotion in that moment. 
At one time, I felt saddened and concerned in sorrow that my dear mother <laughs> had, had suffered this horrible fate. But on the other hand, it was really funny. <laughs> and so I enjoyed these complex emotions at the same time. Little did I know uh, that we in our lives can experience these same complexities. We can be frustrated that we have a second flat tire. Well, at the same time, we can, with anticipation and through faith, praise the Lord that he's going to do something in us and through us if we're willing. And so James says, count it all joy because the testing of your faith, the trials that you go through, and that, well, that word for testing can either refer to a trial or to a temptation, to an external event or an internal event. Next week we'll talk more about the internal testing. But those testings, they can have fruit in your life. If you're willing, you won't become embittered, but you can become emboldened. You can become filled with endurance and patience. Now, now the word there for patience or endurance, um, it's probably better endurance, but even endurance goes, uh, falls a little bit short. The word is hupomane. Uh, William Barclay, the famous uh, Bible commentator, he wrote this about this passage and that word. He said, patience is far too passive of a word for it. Hupomane is not simply the ability to bear things. It's the ability to turn them into greatness and glory. The thing which amazed the heathen in the centuries of persecution was that the martyrs did not die grimly. They died singing. One smiled in the flames and they asked him what he found to smile there. And he said, I saw the glory of God, he said, and I was glad. Hupumane, this endurance that turns the trial into a victory through the power of the Holy Spirit, through faith and reliance upon God. Imagine if the martyrs died complaining, died cursing God. It wouldn't have had that impact that it did. But yet many of them, in their moment of greatest difficulty, found cause for joy, found cause for looking on the bright side, finding the bright side, even as they recognized they probably wished they weren't in that moment. And so James says you can have joy because that trial, if you're willing, is going to work something even more important in your life. An endurance that turns bad things and brings good out of them and is a blessing to other people. But you know, that's hard to have this attitude. I'm not going to stand up here and say it's easy to do that. When bad things happen, naturally we just want to complain and say, why God? And, and it's not wrong, the question. We, we've talked about this in previous sermons. Uh, in fact, we talked in a sermon series on prayer. 
you can find the audio on our website. We talked about what to do with doubt and how to, how to deal with our struggles because often we have these human responses that are natural, um, but God can help bring good even out of uh, the bad circumstances of our life. But it takes wisdom to know how we can do that. And so next James says, well, first we've got to get to verse 4, but let this patience, let this endurance have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Maybe God allows this trial because he wants us to learn something. He wants us to, to become a, a better person through it. And so God wants us to become perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Spiritually mature is another way of saying those phrases. And you think about it, we, we kind of know these things intuitively. Many of you go to the gym when the gym's open and you work out. Or you go for a walk uh, in the morning or the evening. Uh, you, you lift weights. You have some equipment at your home that you're using. You're trying to get stronger. And when we do that, we are taxing our body. We're putting our body through a trial. And in fact, we're actually sore for the next couple of days after we work out. Or if you go a little too hard, like I did a couple weeks ago, you're still sore. You've got to do it all in balance. And I'll admit, I am not necessarily enjoying the process when I am putting my body through a trial, when I'm doing that exercise, getting that cardio in. But in another sense, I am enjoying it because I know the end result is going to be a stronger me, a healthier me. And so that's what gets you back to the gym early in the morning. That's what gets you to that early 5.30 in the morning kickboxing class. Because you know you're going to walk away saying, I'm glad I did that. I'm glad I benefited from it. And so we, we realize trials for our body, as long as they're not overdone, can help make us stronger and better. And we need to have that similar mindset when we realize difficulties in our life, if we allow God to work in us, can help make us more into the people he wants us to be can have a refining process in our lives. And we can find joy even as we recognize the difficulty and the sorrow and the challenges. We can have pleasure knowing that we're with God and that God loves us. But we need wisdom. Verse 5. It takes wisdom to be able to do these things. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without repro reproach, and it will be given to him. If you're going through a trial right now, and you're hearing this message, this may, this may sound um, like not what you're wanting to hear right now. And I don't claim to have it all figured out. There's a lot of nuance and complexity that I'm probably not communicating very well right now. So I just invite you to ask God for wisdom. Say, God, this is what your word is saying to me. And I don't understand how to apply this in my life. And I don't know what you're going to do out of this situation. But give me wisdom so that I can know how to order my life and walk through this difficulty at this time. 
And God, who gives liberally, God, who gives generously, will give you the wisdom that you need for this moment. It will be given. Uh, But make sure you ask in faith. Ask believing that God can and will give you the wisdom. Verse 6, let him ask in faith with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. This isn't saying that if you've ever had a doubt or a struggle that you're hopelessly lost. Uh, As we've talked about in previous uh, sermons, the sermon series through prayer, doubts are natural. We all have them and deal with them. But there's kind of two ways to doubt. There's the doubt where we we aren't really necessarily interested in the answers. We just are continually in this phase of disbelief and doubting and not wanting to uh, seek God in faith. And then there's the other side where we're like the man who said to Jesus, Lord, I believe, but but help my unbelief. That's, That's a different kind of processing our doubts. It's saying, yes, God, I recognize There are elements of my heart and life that still need faith and and need to trust you. And I don't know how to deal with that, but please help me through it. Help me find the answers. Give me the wisdom that I need. And so James says, you're going to need wisdom to count everything as joy, to find joy even in your difficulties. So ask God for the wisdom. And when you ask him, Believe that he can give it to you. Believe that he can. You know, what's faith? I love this quote from the book Education by Ellen White, one of the founders of Adventism. Page 253, book Education. She said that faith is trusting God, believing that he loves us, and that he knows what is for our good. Faith is trusting God, believing that he loves us, and knows best what is for our good. If God made us, if he made the universe, if he made everything that exists, he probably knows more than us. He probably sees what's ahead. And if he allows us to go through difficulties, you know that he he wants to also provide the strength to get through it. Not only just to get through it, but to do it with endurance, with that endurance that turns the difficulties into opportunities for growth, opportunities for witnessing, opportunities for others to see that God is indeed good and that God is indeed able to sustain us. And so James, the brother of Jesus, said, count it all as joy. Ask God for that wisdom that you need, and he'll give it to you. Next week, we're going to continue on this theme. We'll be reminded that God is the source of all good. But doubts are really the same as trials. You're going to deal with them one way or another, You can either ask God to help you with your doubt or you can ask yourself. Trials will come in your life this week. How do you want to respond to them?
There were a couple of missionaries sent to West Africa, Ed and Dottie Powell. They went to a small village of about 55 locals, and they were living there. Um, nobody spoke English, but two of the villagers spoke French, which was closer than the local dialect, which they were in the process of learning. Um, but shortly after they arrived there, Dottie got sick with dysentery, and she just felt awful. And that was multiplied by the fact that she had no AC, and, and the food was different, the water, you know, it just everything was different. And it was so hot, she just was miserable there. And so she's crying out to the Lord. She's saying, God, what's going on? She's complaining. She's bitter. She's, I'm trying to serve you, God, and this is where I'm at. This is what's happened to me. And it was like God spoke to her mind. She's saying, God, what do you want me to do? And God just said, be sick. Be sick. I guess I can be sick for you, God. I'm already sick. I know how to be sick. And it kind of took a weight off of her shoulders. Okay, I... For the, for the time being, I'm just going to go through this trial. God is allowing this trial. I will be sick. And then the next day, the very next day, they get a message from America. Her daughter, who was pregnant, was having complications with the pregnancy. And this was uh, just a whole wave of new troubling news. But uh, someone in the village was able to borrow a motorcycle. They loaded Dottie in her weak, sick condition on the back of that thing and, and traveled to the nearest phone. And she was able to call home. And, and by that time, they found out that things were better and, and the pregnancy was back on track again and things were, were going good. But on getting back to the village, getting back to her home there, again, she felt this wave of dissatisfaction. God, why are we here? God, I'm sick. I'd rather be back at home in America, and in comfort. I'd rather be there with my daughter and my future grandchild. But again, she felt waves of the love of God uh, crashing over her heart and mind and life. And again, she felt the same affirmation. Just be sick for me. Just go through this trial. You're going to be okay. And again, she resolved to serve God even in her sickness, even in her trial. Well, her condition was not improving. She was losing weight, and the, the chief or the elder of that village, who was anything but Christian, he was an animist and worshipped the spirits and the nature and, and so forth, and had been actually persecuting Christians previously to that, he had compassion on her case. And so he sent for a couple of Christians from a nearby village to come, and they came and prayed for Dottie to get well. And she did. She recovered. She got her strength back. And, and then they, they asked the elder, would it be all right if we took the two French-speaking um, tribe members to the nearby church? We want them to experience church. And surprisingly, he gave permission, and so they went to church. And out of that, one of those two people gave their heart to God and became a Christian. And, and time moved forward, and Dottie and, and her husband moved on to other places. 
But they got word later on that that persecutor of Christians, the elder, the chief of the village, had also given his life to God and become a Christian. Dottie didn't want to be there. She didn't want to be sick. But she found a willingness in her heart to serve God in whatever state she was. To try to find joy and contentment in whatever situation she found herself in. And as she grew in her endurance, she found the joy that comes from serving God. The joy of seeing what God can do when we open up our hearts to Him, even in our greatest trials. She saw that in our weakness, God can remain strong. If we commit to being faithful, God shows himself to be awesome in so many new ways that wouldn't be accessible if we hadn't first been willing. So trials will come to you this week. I hope they don't, but they probably will. How are you going to respond? I want to let God give me wisdom to know how I can find even joy and develop that endurance for him in the midst of my difficulties. Let's see what God will do. Dear Heavenly Father, this is a lot easier said than done. But the same power that raised Jesus from the dead can help us to find not only strength, but even joy in our difficulties as we await and look forward and grow in you and see how you'll use our challenges to bring about good. So Father, I pray that you'll give us wisdom to know how to apply this challenging message and give us joy, unexpected joy, as we see how you grow us and grow your kingdom through us, your servants. May this be true today, tomorrow, and each day as we wait for your return. We pray this, let everyone say, amen. God bless you. Have a happy Sabbath. Stay in God's love and in his spirit.